Welcome back to another episode of the Around the Block podcast by Coinbase. I'm your host, Catherine Wu. And I'm Justin Mark. Today, we're going to talk about Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, specifically, uh, building on top of Bitcoin. And our guest today is Muni Bali, who is the founder of Stacks, uh, which is a programming layer that sits on top of the Bitcoin blockchain. It's not an easy challenge, um, but he's a crypto OG, specifically a Bitcoin OG. He's been building on top of Bitcoin for for many, many years. Um, and I think his perspective today would both be a very uh, sober one, but also a very hopeful one. Yeah, a very interesting conversation around how to make Bitcoin programmable. How can Bitcoin compete with the smart contract systems out there, Ethereum and all the Ethereum competitors? What does that look like? Why would somebody want to build on a Bitcoin? Wouldn't Ethereum and other competitors already win? So I'm super excited to chat with Muneeb as well. He's very articulate, very smart, and one of the people that can bring a real, balanced, amazing perspective, frankly, on how to think about Bitcoin in this world. Awesome. Let's have him on. You were so early into crypto, and when I was falling into the crypto rabbit hole, I feel like you and your team almost like adopted me because I would just like show up at your office for no reason. And you guys would just be like, oh, this is completely normal to have a stranger here. Yeah, you were, you were friends of the project. Yeah, yeah, we had a few of them. Yeah, that was back when you guys were, I don't know, a couple people in the Soho office. That was really fun. You had all these great New York stories. And I'm like, I, that's because the, there was like no <laughs> yeah. one in crypto in New York. We all had to be friends. So uh, I was excited to bring you on because I think you have been so steadfastly building in Bitcoin since like day one. And I think these days, especially given all the hype around Web3 and different layer ones, like you don't really see a lot of people who are so dedicated to also solving a really hard problem, right? Bringing smart contract abilities to Bitcoin. Um, so yes. I want to get there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, first, I actually wanted to like tell you a story about a story you told me. Uh, which was two things. Number one, I remember there was one time you were at a, we were in Hong Kong, you're giving this talk on stage. And I remember there was like a photo of a fridge or or like a washing machine or something that you showed. And you were like, this allowed me to get my first computer, which like opened up my, you know, worldview a little bit. And then the second story is like telling about how when you left uh, your hometown, the small town in, in Pakistan, you realized that the versions of history that you learned was actually a little bit different. Um, and those really stuck with me. Yeah, uh, I feel like if you're growing up in a you know developing country or even even like a small city in a developing country, and you don't have access to a lot of information, and like I grew up with like a single kind of like state-controlled television. So the first time we got like a, a second channel on it, it was for the first private channel, and they they would have. Uh, they would have their broadcast only like three or four hours at night. That was like a big deal that we have a second source of information now, right? And and, and they were like so lively and different, and it was it, it felt like a really big deal. I was a teenager at that time, uh, and but getting access to a computer and the internet is like getting access to like thousands of information channels like in one go, right? So if adding a single television channel like felt like a big deal, like imagine how big of a deal would it be to suddenly get plugged into the internet as a, as a teenager growing up in a small city in a developing country? And I feel like in, in some ways, like um, I felt very close to the rest of the internet community. Like I was, you know, I was on IRC and, you know, just like people on Twitter, these they say like, good morning, right, GM. Like we had our own ways of like talking to each other and like you, you, you pick up like part, parts of the internet culture. And that's the culture that I, 
I really loved. A lot of people were actually um, excited about the internet with the same spirit that you're actually seeing in crypto now, right? Like there's almost like there's a there's a dark period in the middle where um, we basically started seeing the rise of uh, tech startups. Like when Google started becoming too big or Facebook started becoming too big and it's almost like a pendulum swing, right? Like you went from decentralized protocols to centralized companies and now you're trying to swing the pendulum back uh, through to Web3 and, and, and some of the crypto protocols. Uh, that actually reminds me of a book called The Master Switch. Have you read it? Yeah, I I have. It's, it's brilliant. Yeah, where you know these new technologies start out in more decentralized fashion, but they end up being co-opted by centralized forces over time. Um, so yeah, interesting. Yeah, so so you were actually had never heard the story before, right? So you're a small kid, sorry, teenager, I guess, in in a small town in Pakistan. You have access to the internet. First time changes your worldview a lot. Is there like a link between that shift in your worldview and how you discovered Bitcoin and, and what initially drew you into Bitcoin? As a teenager, we were actually being taught a version of history in school, right? And schools were also pretty, pretty much like the state is going to decide what, uh, what books people are going to read, right? And, and so, especially when you're learning about history and given the tensions with India, like the, the, the version of history taught to us about how the wars happened or even like who won the war, right? Mm -hmm. Like it was, it was actually like hilarious. Like it's, it's not, it's not close to reality. So gaining access to information that actually contradicts like what your what your parents have told you, what you've learned in school, what the, what the state channels have told you suddenly like shifts your worldview that wait a minute, like I'm going to be uh, very skeptical of new information, right? And it's a little bit like when you start thinking about uh, mental models like you have to uh, almost like unlearn certain things to make space for new mental models in in, in your brain right so i i was fascinated with computers i uh, started like you know i was one of those kids who would uh i assembled my computer right like that's how you would like these were off the shelf type computers so you would actually like assemble them yourself and uh i ripped out like windows from it and installed Linux and started kind of like messing around with, with the shell. And uh, it was, it was like fun as hell, right? Like I would stay up all night and my parents, like they actually started getting worried about me because they thought maybe I'm on drugs. <laughs> my, my eyes would be like red uh, in the morning. Just, just assembling computers. <laughs> it's probably some, some type of drug, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So, and, and, um, and I knew that I, I want to kind of like learn more uh, about computers, like even, even in my undergrad. And it wasn't very common to actually study computer science, like back in like 1999, right? So I'm dating myself. And I almost had to like uh, convince my parents and people around me that, no, this is what I want to go and study. And very quickly, even in my undergrad, I was convinced that I want to basically pursue research work, right? Like I was fascinated by computer networks, especially the internet. And an interesting side story there that the computer networking book that uh, uh, I used in my undergrad, like this is also back in Pakistan, uh, was written by this professor, Larry Peterson, who was a professor at Princeton. And imagine down the road, actually getting to work with Larry Peterson at Princeton. And now his book includes our work stacks. Like there's, there's basically a chapter about- yeah. That's awesome. You know, so we, we came back like full circle. Uh, to like being fascinated by the internet, being trying to kind of like work on it, to actually being, being being able to do something about it. But so my my background is mostly in distributed systems, peer to peer networking, uh, cloud computing. And when I when I started my PhD, this is actually the same year uh, Satoshi released the 
the white paper. Right? So I came across the white paper very early on, and you know, and and I actually have a folder, right? So it's, it's, I was actually looking at this uh, some time back. So as a as a PhD student, like you get these tons of like research papers, and you're you can't even read all of them, right? So I had this uh, way of organizing papers, like somewhat directly relevant to what I was doing. And, you know, it's a folder of like, these are the paper I've read. These are the paper I'm going to read. And then there was a, a, a folder for a bunch of interesting stuff that is not directly related to my research. And over there, I have the, the Bitcoin paper marked as to read, Right? No. And this is, this is this is like and I and I didn't get to it for literally years, right? So uh, a couple of years passed. It was 2010 when um, uh, people might know Arvind. He's a professor at Princeton. He's, he's written a book about cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin as well. So Arvind just joined like as as a fresh online professor, and he had a seminar uh, on. Uh, on, on, on Bitcoin, like I think he was interested, and so I that in my inbox, that's the first mention of kind of like Bitcoin in, in my inbox history. It was Arvin's seminar, and he wanted to talk about Bitcoin. So I would say roughly 2010 is when for the first time I, I, I probably like explored. I can make a quick NFT joke here. You should NFT that or something, right? Like like super interesting <laughs> cred, right? But, <laughs> but anyways, keep going. Wait, but when did it yeah, become but- from like a interesting? computer science or distributed systems problem to like a full on, I want to dedicate my career to building open source, you know, uh, I don't know, building on the Bitcoin blockchain or like where, where did that shift happen? Yeah. So I think um, that was, that was 2013 for me, right? So basically what was happening is that uh, as much as I love research, I was feeling a little bit like it's a, it's, it's not a real world, right? Like mm-hmm. you're almost like in a controlled bubble, and I, I wanted, I was always interested in like commercializing technology. So working on the cutting edge research, but then actually having an impact in the real. So I was getting pretty convinced that I want to go and actually uh, do the same thing, but from the other side of the wall, right? So I have a startup, but the startup is actually trying to build cutting edge uh, technologies and, and just commercializing it directly. So that was, that was kind of like the origination. I met my co-founder at, at Princeton as well. And we really started the company uh, with a vague idea of like, we want to build, you know, next generation internet infrastructure. Uh, we were living in the East Village. Uh, let me tell you about the New York uh, crypto scene, how small it is. <laughs> uh, we, we were living in the East Village and we were renting out office space. Uh, this is 2013. Uh, from Foursquare was one of the biggest kind of like tech companies that came out of New York around mm-hmm. that time recently. So we were renting out space in the Foursquare's old office, and which was like, it felt pretty cool, right? It was like, okay, Foursquare used to work here and now, now we're renting out the space. So in the same uh, space, the uh, the founder of Chainlink, Sergey, was also renting out space. So I'm there, <laughs> Ryan is there, <laughs> Sergey is there, and one of the co-founders of Ethereum was living on the apartment on top of me in, in East Village. <laughs> Right. Who, so who knew New York Ethereum, was a small city, right? Yeah. Like, like, so Ethereum, Stacks, and Chainlink was basically like walking distance uh, from each other, working in the same building or like living living in the same building and so on. Right? So this is this is how small the world was. We weren't like actually working on crypto, but we would talk so much about Bitcoin. Like we were like really fascinated by that time, and and everybody around us thought that we were we were doing something in crypto. Right? They would, like when people would 
talk to us, they would assume that we actually work in crypto, but we weren't at that time. We were just trying to build internet infrastructure technologies and then uh, connected the dots that the, the some of the public blockchains like Bitcoin or other types of blockchains could actually be fundamental building blocks for, uh, for, for building a next generation internet, which, which now we are calling Web3. Yeah. I mean, back then, there was really just Bitcoin. Did you ever think about kind of you know, when you decided to actually form Blockstacks and like want to build on Bitcoin, was there ever a consideration that like maybe one day we'll move to a different blockchain layer or was it, you know, Bitcoin uh, and we're going to just try to make this, you know, build infrastructure around this and try to, you know, one day, I don't know if that was ever in the plans, right, but to build in more kind of like functionality um, into Bitcoin. It goes back to uh, a very fundamental question we had back in 2013. So there were a bunch of other chains around by then already, right? So Namecoin was the first fork of Bitcoin, uh, 2011. And I think actually Namecoin is where NFT started, right? So domain names, they, they basically had domain names and domain names are a type of a non-fungible token, right? So they, they go back all the way to 2011. So when we were thinking of like, hey, here's like some, you know, functionality uh, that is needed for, let's call it a Web3. And how do we implement it? Like, do we try to, uh, modify Bitcoin? Do we try to kind of like, you know, start a separate blockchain? Or do we try to build on some something that is not Bitcoin? Like at that time, pre-Ethereum, that would be Namecoin or, or, or something else, right? Like uh, where maybe the probability of making changes to that blockchain are higher, right? And I feel like that was such a fundamental decision that should you go off and start a new blockchain? Should you kind of like build on Bitcoin or, or do you want to build on something that's that's not Bitcoin but already here? And I feel like that is a question that a lot of people face even today, right? Like, do you, do you want to build on Ethereum? Do you want to go build a separate separate blockchain? Or the contrarian view that, hey, do you want to build on Bitcoin, which is which is, which is the camp that we are in. And I think like, like noticing the difference between these camps would be very interesting. Speaking of the white papers, right? So someone forwarded me the... Uh, Ethereum white paper before it was published, like so a draft of it, right? And it was like very ambitious, right? I was like, this is this is super interesting. Like they're trying to do something very ambitious, but the computer scientist in me was very skeptical of some of the some of the technical design. Right? Like I was very almost like scared of the use of a Turing complete language. I was very skeptical of the scalability properties of the system, that there's no way this thing is actually ever going to scale, like if you're trying to build like a quote-unquote world computer. And interestingly, I think Ethereum deserves a lot of credit that even given the potential downsides, the power of some of those ideas were, were, were so strong, especially the concept of smart contracts and just letting people build whatever they want to build. Yes, there's a downside of having a Turing complete language that, that there could be more bugs. And yes, there have been uh, potential problems because of that. But I think increasing the space of like what's possible uh, helped basically developers to build whatever they wanted to build. And, and we saw like a ton of innovation that happened. And then we are almost like still fixing the, those potential problems. Like we're working both on like scalability and better ways of, of, of building these blockchains. And at the same time, like people are looking at how do you make these programs more secure, right? So I think that those initial things that kind of like scared me about Ethereum, they still remain true today, like like seven, eight years later. But, uh, and, and, and the industry is still working on those problems, right? I don't think they're fully, fully solved even, even today. As you say, back in, back in that day, people had a choice between building on Bitcoin or building on brand new blockchains. And Ethereum went the brand new, brand new blockchain route and so did many others. You chose to build on Bitcoin. 
So is there a clear articulation for exactly why build, you believe building on Bitcoin is the right long-term solution? I usually think in terms of like, you know, uh, design trade-offs, like what are the pros and cons of the approaches? So let's, let's think about uh, starting a new blockchain. Uh, and I think for, when you're starting a new blockchain, the benefit is that you actually have more, uh, more flexibility, flexibility on what you want to build. Right? Like it's a clean slate, whatever you want to build, you can just go and build it. Right? Anything that you want to build on Bitcoin, you're actually limited uh, in the sense that you can't really change Bitcoin. Like if your design requires any changes to Bitcoin, it's likely just Bitcoin is not going to change, right? Like there might be small incremental changes. So that's the first downside, right? Like you, so you're actually uh, making life a little bit harder for yourself by, by trying to build on Bitcoin. Uh, secondly, I think it's it's a little bit about uh, what are your views on uh, kind of like you know like sound money, right? Do you think that Bitcoin in the long term is going to be sound money, and you're actually trying to leverage that, or you're in the camp that you know the sound money aspect doesn't matter, or or some somehow even if Bitcoin becomes sound money, you'll be able to plug in Bitcoin liquidity into your new blockchain, right? So you're you're kind of like building a separate system, and and you're less kind of like uh, convinced by the sound money arguments of Bitcoin. Right. So I personally fell more on the side of like I, I truly think that sound money is a very critical component of of crypto, and I think if you don't have that, a lot of other applications also start to fall apart. And then I think the second argument is actually has nothing to do with crypto. This is like more general purpose distributed systems uh, type of uh, design philosophies where there have always been kind of like these two camps in, in computer science. Uh, one camp believes in simple base layers and the other camp like basically doesn't. And they're fine with having more complex base layers. So I, I can give you examples in like different even subfields within within computer science. Like for example, when people were designing like microchips uh, like back in the day, like 1980s or something, there is one design that's called the reduce instruction set architecture, like RISC. And there is like CISC, which is complex instruction set architecture. RISC is saying that you only do basic things like, you know, uh, you know, just addition, subtraction, very basic things at the at the chip level. And then you can build more complexity on top. Uh, and the other other camp is saying that. And same, same in operating system. Like Unix is actually a very simple base layer. And then there have been operating systems where they would try to make the base layer very complex. And that was a lens I was evaluating Bitcoin and Ethereum as well. Like I view Bitcoin as a simple base layer and the complexity is going to live on top of it. Whereas Ethereum itself is complex. And I think that comes with, again, benefits and, 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 and downsides as well. So that was the, that was the other, other big kind of like uh, reason for, for being attracted to Bitcoin. So... It's funny because you hit on three things here, right? You hit number one, um, Bitcoin is static and hard to change, which actually might be a benefit in some cases because one of your other points was, well, it's a philosophical choice to build a simple, secure foundational base layer that's going to be a very secure foundation for other applications to be built on top, right? And the other point you hit on was, um, you know, your views on sound money, where Bitcoin is actually sound money. It has the, the most decentralized properties out there. And maybe that stands in contrast to other cryptocurrencies. Do you feel like you know, these smart contract platforms that live on top of Bitcoin, are they going to end up as the dominant smart contract platform in the long run? Or do you feel like they're actually just going to be one piece in a multi-chain world? I'm obviously very bullish on Bitcoin. And I, I view Bitcoin as Bitcoin would be the center of gravity in the crypto world. And 
And a lot of the, because those applications that are built on Bitcoin would be more valuable. Like imagine, you know, a similar application on a smaller ecosystem would be less valuable than that type of application built on, on Bitcoin. But a fallback uh, to this theory could almost be that there's at least value in making Bitcoin productive and connecting it to other elements. Like there's at least a trillion dollars worth of capital sitting there, just sitting there, right, passively. And just making that programmable, just deploying that into smart contracts, even if Bitcoin doesn't become the, the central gravity, like there's there's a ton of value there to unlock and just connecting it to the uh, to the to the other elements. So it seems to me, at least currently, the narrative has kind of uh, seen Bitcoin as just it's a store of value and, and and it's great reserve currency and and that's that and let's just leave it at that and like let's build the stuff on the other you know layer one blockchains that are kind of more suited to single use purposes. So even even with Ethereum, you're starting to see you know for example, Flow is like kind of an offshoot of a specific Ethereum standard, right? And you're starting to see other Ethereum standards, I think, take form in new layer ones. So so that's like one side, but. Uh, I think one of the really interesting things that you hit on is you actually extract away the the reserve currency store value argument um, away as one layer, right? The money that you're calling it the money layer. Um, and I know that your team has also, been, you know, basically done like invented a new programming language just to build on on Bitcoin, which which also isn't easy. Um, and now you're saying like kind of there's so much there to be unlocked, and actually like just saying the money layer for Bitcoin is enough is is actually very inadequate. So I just wanted to kind of maybe poke at that and ask you, you know, now with the enablement of Clarity, which is the programming language that allows for smart contract capabilities on Bitcoin, like what else do you see? Um, what else is capable of being unlocked on the Bitcoin blockchain layer? Yeah, so I feel like the Bitcoin opportunity, and obviously I'm, I'm biased here, is one of the most underexplored opportunities in crypto right now. Even, even if you look at the amount of uh, funding going going into different types of uh, areas and so on, if you look at ETH, right now, a typical Ethereum user can actually trade ETH on decentralized exchanges like you know, automated market makers like Uniswap. Bitcoin, where people really value decentralization, cannot do that right now. Right, like they can only trade on a centralized exchange like a Binance or, or, or a Coinbase, and I feel like that's a big market gap. Like similarly, uh, if you hold ETH, you can actually uh, take a loan against it in a, in a, in a stable currency. Right, there's so many Bitcoiners there. There are hardcore Bitcoiners who never want to sell their Bitcoin, and they don't have an ability to draw out a stablecoin loan against their Bitcoin assets. Like a huge market. No solution there right now, right? So I can I can keep on going through the list. I, I feel like this Bitcoin opportunity is basically the missing piece has been the underlying smart contract capabilities, and that was very hard to crack. So I'm I'm a huge fan of Bitcoin. Um, the core vision of Bitcoin is monetary vet store value, digital money, right? And it's succeeding at that. It also could be a very secure foundational layer for other applications on top. Um, the challenge that I see though, right? If I were to try to pick at this a little bit, is the other ecosystems, Ethereum, you mentioned Solana, there's many others as well. They're growing so quickly and there might be embedded network effects around that. How do you view the competitive pressures? How do you view going up against the network effect that could be very powerful in other networks that already exist? I would say that in the coming years, I would put it even almost like the next five years or so, there is a window of opportunity that the other smart contract platforms are actually smaller than Bitcoin uh, from a 
from a capital like the the total capital that's that's uh, contained within those ecosystems, the the brand name or community and so on. That, like nobody knows what's going to happen in the future, but at least I think Bitcoin is going to maintain its number one slot for a while. Like I I'll put that at like five years at least or something like that. So when you're when you're talking about let's let's consider Ethereum or Solana, like they have a very interesting flywheels in there, right? Like the flywheel is that uh, developers build applications, people can deploy ETH into those smart contracts, and then you're you're, you're kind of like it's a flywheel because that makes Ethereum itself more valuable. And when Ethereum becomes more valuable, there's more capital available to deploy into smart contracts. Bitcoin doesn't have that, right? And as soon as you have like you know, fully expressive smart contracts for Bitcoin and applications start building there. Now you have that small flywheel going, right? But the flywheel is being powered by a trillion dollars of capital, which is mostly sitting passive right now. I think if you were already in a position where Bitcoin, Bitcoin's capital is now smaller than the capital available in some other ecosystems, I think I would be concerned about the network effects. Right now, we're not there yet. If I, if I take your vision of... Um... Bitcoin, and I take the other vision or slash reality, which is that like we will have a multi-chain future. Um, there probably is an assumption that there is there should be some sort of interoperability, right? And does Bitcoin get left behind in in this new like multi-chain world? Because I do think it is important to have either bridges or some sort of way that like they can talk to each other and work together, like as we think about the decentralized future. Yeah, so I think th- that's why. I think of Bitcoin as the money layer and Stacks as the programming layer, right? Mm-hmm. So once you have the programming layer, it becomes relatively easy to connect to other blockchains as well, right? Because Bitcoin's limited script also yeah. is a limitation, not, not for just for smart contracts, but also for building bridges and building connectivity to, to other systems. Right now, if you're a developer and you're, you're just starting in crypto, uh, Bitcoin is not the natural place where you would go uh, to basically deploy a smart contract. And, but interestingly, I think Bitcoin is the natural place for people when they're just entering crypto to learn about what crypto is. Right? And I feel like there's a gap right now. The, the gap is uh, you want to learn about crypto, you would start with Bitcoin. You'll start with like, hey, here's how it started. Here's what Bitcoin is. And then if you want to deploy smart contracts, maybe you'll start learning about Solidity or Ethereum. Right? But the gap that we want to fill here is right after you learn about Bitcoin, like, and here's how you program Bitcoin, right? It's a very natural transition, especially for somebody new who's just getting introduced to crypto. They just learn about Bitcoin and then they learn about how to, how to program Bitcoin, how to do interesting things with Bitcoin. One of the reasons why I'm passionate about crypto is that we're doing really impactful, challenging things. We're going to probably change the world. And on the other hand, there are all these different inputs to how the crypto world is going to evolve. And it's pretty challenging, at least from my, my seat, to like gain super strong conviction on what the, like what the crypto reality is going to be in five to 10 years. So I love talking to people like you, where you have a strong conviction that it's going to be Bitcoin, right? I mean, I can catch all this amazing fervor around this future of Bitcoin, but I wanted to ask you too, what other cool things are happening in Bitcoin? Is it just a programmability layer that's coming on board or are there other interesting things? What else gets you excited about Bitcoin, the ecosystem? I would love to see people like try out new things because it makes our industry stronger because you're actually exploring kind of like unique design points. And I think that's one thing I'm very proud of in the, in the, on the stack side, that we are exploring new secure programming languages and we are exploring kind of like new consensus algorithms and, and, and trying to build around Bitcoin. I feel like the Bitcoin uh, product market fit for 
kind of like this this decentralized money is really taking off, right? So what we, what's happening in like El Salvador, what's happening with uh, kind of like people putting like Bitcoin on their balance sheets, and that that Bitcoin is actually I think at a high level, Bitcoin is by far the biggest kind of like cryptocurrency that is becoming kind of like real in the real world, right? It's being used as money in the real world. Where Bitcoin is lagging behind is being used as money in the digital or the metaverse world, right? Because I think that's a place where Ethereum has an edge because most of the applications are there. When people are buying NFTs or trading NFTs, they're doing that in ETH and they're treating Ethereum as money there. So I feel like that's that's kind of like the snapshot right now that in the in the real world type applications, if a public company is putting, you know, is taking an inflation hedge, they're they're mostly working with Bitcoin. Or if a country or a city is kind of like looking into it, they're mostly looking at at, at Bitcoin. And I think that's the place where we want to play a role. We want to make Bitcoin productive in in the metaverse, so that you can actually trade NFTs with it. You can actually like you know uh, build build a Uniswap like application and have Bitcoin liquidity plugged in there. That's that that's kind of like the the missing link that we're trying to work on. Yeah, I mean, as we move into a multi-chain future, I hope to see Bitcoin really kind of move in here, especially on the programmable side too. So I'm glad you're working on the problem, or you and other Bitcoin <laughs> <laughs> developers. It's not um, just you. We, yeah. I know, I know. There's a big community around it um, are thinking about this problem too. So um, personally, I'm super excited about what you guys are doing and, and bringing programmability to Bitcoin. I catch the vision. I see the potential here. Um, admittedly, I see some challenges too, right? I mean, you're up against large, potentially interesting network effects. You have interesting differentiated features that could really make Bitcoin as a, as a programmability layer really powerful and unique. Um, but I think we're all going to learn, right? Whether it succeeds or fails, we're going to learn and we're going to move from there. So I don't know. I'm excited about it. I think you nailed it, right? So uh, a lot of the uh, challenges were actually purely technical. It, to, to, like it was a little bit like, is it even possible, right? Because a lot of the earlier designs that either others have built or even we have built, they they couldn't bring fully expressive smart contracts, right? So an earlier version of the work we did had very limited type of smart contract uh, ability, or you would have Lightning that doesn't have smart contracts, or they they have off chain type of stuff going on. So I do think like some of the challenges were were technical. Now. Given this year, now the challenges are around adoption, like developer adoption, and then is, is this thing actually going to uh, attract developers and enough applications and enough kind of like usage of that application? So so far so good. Like our network is kind of like running at full capacity right now. Like developers are kind of like banging on our doors trying to say that you know we need we need higher network capacity. We need like these, this tooling, that tooling. Uh, so things are things things are looking bright, but it's it's been it's been years to kind of like get there, and I think. How it, I'm, I'm I'm super excited. Especially this year has been. Uh, I'm super grateful for everything that happened this year. It was a refreshing conversation because I I sometimes feel like it's Groundhog's Day a little bit in crypto where we talk to people and we kind of regurgitate the same themes over and over again. And oh, you're building a layer one, you're doing this, and they all kind of feel very similar. This is one where it's like, oh, you're actually doing something different in the sense that you're building on top of Bitcoin, which people don't talk about and they don't think about what that could look like, what it could be. Because it's hard. It, well, yeah. <laughs> UTXO uh, data set. It's, it's like, like 10 yeah. minute locks. It's like yeah. a, a development community that's very, very resistant to any changes. Like you're choosing to fight the hardest battle. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe it's the biggest reward at the end, right? So Yeah. Well, thanks for listening to another edition of Around the Block podcast from Coinbase. 
Be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and let us know if you have questions or comments. The topic of building on Bitcoin is certainly a fascinating one. There's a lot we could have dug into here. So reach out to us on Twitter, leave a comment on YouTube and let us know what you thought. Don't forget, we also have a landing page. It's coinbase.com slash around the block, where we have long-form research, uh, sometimes related to the topics we're talking about, but also open to any suggestions. Um, So thanks, and we'll catch you guys next week. Today's conversation is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice. Actual results may vary materially from any forward-looking statements made and are subject to risks and uncertainties. 